So can you finish this sentence? Give someone an inch and they'll take a mile. Very good. Give someone an inch and they'll, they'll take a mile. What does that mean? Well, basically it means that if you give somebody a little bit, they may take more than the little bit that you gave them. Or if you give in just a little bit, they might take advantage of you. <laughs> I come from the mouth of babes to the mouth of Harold. I mean, he, he pulls them both off. Oh, great. I love it. Seems the first time that this was ever used, or at least first time it was ever printed, was in 1546 in a collection of sayings from John Haywood. And this is how it read in that collection. Give him an inch and he'll take an L. Give him an inch and he'll take an L. Uh, six years ago, I was riding near Inman, South Carolina, uh, same time of the year as now. And I looked over and there was a yard that was just full of Christmas decorations. And one of the decorations that they had in the yard were these large letters that spelled out this word. Now, the night before, we had had a pretty strong storm, and the wind had knocked down the very last letter of this word in the front yard. And so all you could see were the letters N, O, and E. And I realized in that moment how honest their decoration had become because there truly was no L. I've been hanging on to that for six years. <laughs> I mean, just waiting for a moment where I can do something with it. So, y'all are the moment. Y'all are the moment. <laughs> It'll get better as the day goes on, too. That's, that is great. In 1546, taking an L was not stealing something from Pat Sajak. There was something different going on with this. It wasn't the letter L. It was a word L, E-L-L. And an L was a unit of measurement, and that measurement was about 45 inches. So, a standard mailbox is about 45 inches tall. So, the phrase could have been, give them an inch, and they'll take a mailbox. Just kind of didn't have a lot of punch, you know. So, I guess somewhere down the line, it got changed to a mile. Now, all of us have had this moment, right? We've had a moment where we've given someone an inch, and they've taken a little more, where we've been taken advantage of in, in some way, shape, or form. We've all had that moment at least once. And what do we do in moments like that? Well, we do a lot of stuff. Sometimes we get mad. Sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we pound our hand on the table. Sometimes we get quiet and, and we cave in and, and give in. Some people just aren't even paying attention. You know, they're chasing butterflies, they're crushing candy, they're, they're just not paying attention to anything that's actually going on. But what if there were a way that in the moment that we're being taken advantage of, in the moment that we've given a little bit and somebody's taken a little more, what if there was a way in that moment to still feel like we are winning? How could we possibly, in a moment of defeat, in a moment when it feels like we're losing, actually you'll be able to say, no, you know, I'm, I'm still winning right now. How is that possible? About 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a group of people that were about to go through a lot of losing. They were about to lose their homes. They were about to lose their land. They were about to lose their entire way of life. And who were these people? Well, they were the people of God. 
That sounds a little odd, right? The people of God were going to lose everything? That, that sounds strange. What, what happened to the Lord is our shepherd. What happened to the quiet waters and the nice green pastures? What happened to the God that's supposed to pursue us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives? How come his people seem to not have a lot of good and not a lot of mercy in that moment? Well, those are good questions, and Isaiah is going to have some answers to encourage us along. Listen to Isaiah 52, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation. Isaiah is foretelling about a time that was coming that was not going to be holly and jolly and and old lang syne. No, it was going to be a time where it was difficult. They were going to lose their homes. They were going to lose their land. They were going to lose their way of life. They were going to be captive prisoners in a foreign land. They were going to be down. They were going to be discouraged. They were going to be defeated, and they were going to be desperate desperate for some good news. Isaiah's got some good news coming. Isaiah says, yes, there a time is coming that, that Babylon is going to defeat your nation, but then they're going to be defeated by Cyrus. And after decades of exile, the Jewish people were going to get to go back home. Sounds like great news, but, but what do they do in the meantime? You know? What do they do in the meantime before this, this peace and this happiness and this salvation was supposed to come? That's a great announcement. That's good news. But what do you do until the peace gets there? What do you do during the, the moments of difficulty and darkness and depression and discouragement? What do you do in the moments when it feels like life is just one defeat after another? Anybody ever felt that way? Maybe you're feeling that way this morning. Well, Isaiah has a little more to this announcement, and the more is good news. Listen to the rest of verse 7. Who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. On June 2nd, 1953, Elizabeth was officially coronated as the Queen of the United Kingdom. June 2nd, 1953 was her official day of coronation. But it was not when her reign began. It was not when she became queen. She actually became queen on the moment that her father, King George, died, February 6, 1952. That's when her reign actually began. The people that Isaiah was writing to, they were, they were longing for a coronation ceremony. But they were, they were longing for, for someone to come and to, to reign over them with peace and justice and truth. And that day was coming. But when that day came, there was not going to be the need for a coronation ceremony. Why? Well, let's see if we can kind of unpack an answer to that question. Our country is 242 years old. Now, just, you know, quick glance through high school history or however much history you have in your mind. Just, just think of all that has happened in the last 242 years in our nation. And then imagine that God was silent to his nation for another 158 years. God was silent for 400 years to his people. What does that mean? 
Well, it means that there were no inspired words from God. It was, it was silent when it came to inspired words from God. Practically speaking, we could put it this way, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there were 400 years where God did not speak any inspired words. So what was happening to his people during those 400 years? Well, they were bounced around underneath the oppression of one superpower to the next. Some years were good, but most of the years were hard, they were difficult, and there was a lot of depression and oppression. And what about God? Being silent for 400 years, does that mean he was like playing dead and and not doing anything? No. He was constantly working. He was continuing to fulfill all of his promises. And through major political and cultural and religious changes, he was preparing things for him to no longer be silent. He was going to break his silence. And how did he end his silence? Well, he ended his silence through an announcement of good news, of of peace and happiness and salvation. And he broke his silence during a time where his people were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And after four centuries of silence, he broke his silence in a a very logical way by letting everyone know that his message was coming to the most logical person that it should come to, right? A random teenage girl named Mary. That was how God broke his silence. This was part of the message and the announcement that Mary got, Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Have you ever looked forward to something? Maybe a birthday or a special concert, a big sporting event, maybe a holiday break from work or school, maybe a holiday feast with family or friends. Well, Mary was looking forward to something, just like the people that Isaiah was writing to, they were looking forward to something. And Mary was was part of looking forward to something with a whole lot of other people. They were looking forward to a king. After years of, of evil kings that had oppressed them, after these empires coming and taking them over, they were longing for someone to come and reign over them with peace and truth and justice. And that king, that royalty that was coming, was going to be born to Mary in a stable in Bethlehem. But that stable was not going to be a coronation ceremony. He wasn't going to be coronated as king in the stable that night because he was already king. What does that mean? One day Jesus was being questioned by some church leaders And this is how he responded to them. John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus declared without any confusion that he was and is God. Now, that sounded crazy to those church leaders. C.S. Lewis writes, among these Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. He claims to forgive sins. He says he always existed. He says he is coming to judge the world at the end of time. 
But this man, since he was a Jew, could not mean that kind of God. God in their language meant the being outside the world who had made it and was infinitely different from anything else. And when you have grasped that, you will see that what this man said was quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. Jesus was not being confusing. He was being clear. He said that he is God. On another day, Jesus said this in John 8, verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Bless his heart. He has to be crazy. Abraham lived more than 2,000 years before he was born. How, How in the world could he have existed before Abraham? Seems impossible. How is it possible? Because Jesus is God. Ravi Zachariah said this, he is the only entity in existence, the reason for whose existence is in himself. All other entities or quantities exist by virtue of something else. And in that sense, he alone is perfect. He exists because of him. I don't exist because of me. I exist because of of other people. I exist because of my parents. I exist because of Psalm 139 that God fearfully and wonderfully made me. But Jesus, Jesus exists because of himself. Therefore, Jesus becomes perfect because he is uncaused and he is infinite. He is God. Great. What does that have to do with the stable? What what does that have to do with the stable and the fact that there was not going to be a coronation ceremony. Well, let's think back to the people that Isaiah is writing to. These people are hearing this announcement, your God reigns. And they would have been thinking, oh, finally, finally, there's, there's going to be someone who's going to come and take over. There's, there's going to be this coronation ceremony that's going to happen. We're, we're finally going to get the king that we've been looking for. But no matter what day they were going to be rescued, no matter what holiday or ceremony they would set up as a day to honor God for their deliverance, there was no time in none of those days and none of those holidays that God was going to become king. Why? Because he was already king. God is king. He has always reigned. There has never been a moment that he has not been on his throne. How do we know that's true? I just picked one way, just one way we can think about that today. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. The kingship, the reign of God can be clearly seen simply in creation. Sir Isaac Newton, famed physicist, mathematician, and astronomer said this, atheism is so senseless. When I look at the solar system, I see the earth at the right distance from the sun to receive the proper amounts of heat and light. That did not happen by chance. 
saw a bumper sticker yesterday. It said, um, the great thing about science is it's true whether you believe it or not. And I kind of just walked through the parking lot and I started thinking through that and I was like, I mean, that's cute and just like silly, you know? It's like, I, I don't even know what that means. Because the whole beauty of this moment, this quote from someone who clearly believed in science was, I can't explain this. It is too amazing. But oh, it is in the amazing where I see the truth. So how does it happen if it doesn't happen by chance? Well, it happens because all of creation displays the invisible attributes of God. It happens because our God reigns. In 1995, in a lecture in Portland, Oregon, genetic engineer Dr. John Medina said this, the lungs contain a thousand miles of capillaries. The process of exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide is so complicated that it is more difficult to exchange O2 for CO2 than for a man shot out of a cannon to carve the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pen as he passes by. That's a, that's a visual image, right? And, and why? How, how is it that this CO2 and this O2, how, how does this complicated thing happen? It, it happens because the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in creation. Our God reigns. Another health picture I saw this week. The body uses energy so efficiently, if an average adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 miles an hour, it uses the amount of energy contained in three ounces of carbohydrate. If a car were this efficient with gasoline, it would get 900 miles to the gallon. That's a serious hybrid right there, right? This is, this is crazy science, right? But, but how can it happen? How is all of this true? It's true because the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in what we cannot explain in creation. It's true because our God reigns. R.C.H. Linsky said this, Men cannot charge God with hiding himself from them and thus excuse their irreligion and their immorality. God's not hiding. He's, he's not hiding anywhere. He is displaying himself in creation. He's displaying himself through his Bible. He's displaying himself through his church. He is not hiding. And the most perfect way that God has ever displayed himself is through a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. And that baby was and is God. Therefore, no coronation ceremony was necessary. Because if he is God, then that means he was and he is and will always be king. That can't change. The baby in the manger was already the king. How do we know that? Because the invisible attributes of God were seen even in the manger. Even in a smelly stable, 
our God reigns. He reigns. So what does all that have to do with the darkness and difficulty of life? What what does all that have to do with, with the moments that we are feeling defeated, the moments that we feel like we are losing? Well, it has everything to do with that. Here's why. See, Jesus came to fulfill all of the promises of God. And the promises of God are all found in Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Savior. He is the King. Jesus is the King, has always been the King, and will never stop being the King. So His peace, His happiness, His salvation, His truth, His justice are from before time began, and they will never end. I'm telling you, a truth like that will see you through midterm elections. A truth like that will see through any coronation of any king or any queen on the planet. He is king forever. So how do you set that truth down into your life today? Jeff Thomas writes, Some people live on fear. Some people seem to be constantly looking for something to be afraid of. That is not the Christian point of view. When men are frightened, they tend to act in haste. And when they act in haste, they can make big mistakes. Lose your head and you've lost the battle. Lose your heart and you have lost everything. The devil may roar, but he cannot win. What does that mean? He goes on. It means that nothing can ever happen, however vast, however terrible, however dreadful, that can shake the rule of Mary's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If that kingdom is secure, then all is safe. All is safe. One of the the songs in the hymnal in the Christmas section is called All is Safe. All is well. All is well and all is safe if you are in the the kingdom of Jesus. If you have repented and received this salvation, this peace, this happiness. All is safe and all is well because the invisible attributes of God have shown us that through creation. And then God, not being invisible at all, showed us that through the manger, through Jesus. Our God reigns. Abraham Kuyper was prime minister of the Netherlands between 1901 and 1905. This is what he said about the grown-up baby Jesus. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Not an inch. Every inch of your home, every inch of your workplace, your school, every inch of your neighborhood, every inch of this church, every inch of the state, every inch of the country, every inch of the nation, every inch of the world. There is not an an inch of creation that Jesus does not say, yep, that is mine. 
And if you are believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus as your ultimate peace, happiness, and salvation, then please know this. His greatest desire and delight is to reign over every inch of your life. Every inch of your heart, every inch of your mind, every inch of your soul, every inch of your pain, every inch of your stress, every inch of your fear. This is what Jesus desires to do. It is his character. It is not invisible. It is what he came for. If you're a struggling Christian, if you're a struggling saint, then I want you to know that this is not just a Bible verse from the Old Testament. I want you to know because of the invisible attributes of God and because of the truth of the Christmas story and because of the truth of the cross and because of the truth of the empty tomb, your God reigns. He reigns. So this week we get a brand new calendar year of life. How's this past year been for you? How's it gone? If you were to look at your life, have you experienced more victory or more defeat? Have you experienced more purpose or more pain? Have you experienced more confidence or more confusion? Have you experienced more satisfaction or more stress? Have you experienced more affection or more alienation? Have you experienced more affirmation or more apathy? Let's take those last two and turn them around and, and kind of offer them as a challenge. This past year, have you given more affection or have you given more alienation? Have you given more affirmation or have you given more apathy? Is there something that you need to change today? Don't wait for a new year, but today. There's actually only one resolution that you need to have for 2019. Really, it's the only resolution you need for the next hour. And then the hour after that, and the hour after that, and the hour after that. Just, just one resolution defines life. And what is that resolution? The old saying says it this way, only one life, which will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Don't miss that. Think of whatever you own right now. One day you won't own it. Think of whatever trophy you have right now. One day it won't be on your shelf anymore. Think of whatever building has been named after you, whatever title that you have been given. Those things will one day cease to be the only thing that will last. It is what is done for Christ. Does that mean don't build buildings and don't own things and don't do things? No, no, no. Live your life to the fullest for the glory of God. Do all you can for others. But know that there is only one life and it will soon be passed. And only what is done for Jesus Christ, for the name of Christ, only that will last. 
John Piper said this, we must know this is what we were made for. Press on to know the Lord. We are made to know Christ. We are not made to do little diddly things. We are made to know this massive Christ. This world is a little two-second slice, and then with him or not, forever. It is what we are created to know and do and be about. And when we know him in those ways, we have begun to know the outskirts of his supremacy, the outskirts of his reign, the outskirts of his kingship, the outskirts of his kingdom. The more you study about King Jesus, the more there is to know. And then he says this, for time would fail to speak of his supreme, that word's not coming out. We're going to start over. For time would fail to speak of his supreme severity. There you go. And in For time would fail to speak of his supreme severity and invincibility and dignity and simplicity and complexity and resoluteness and calmness and depth and courage. This, this is our king. You, you can't begin to understand him. He's, he's that great. And then he says this, if there is anything admirable, if there is anything worthy of praise in all the universe, it is summed up in Jesus Christ. It's, it's all in him. Why? Why is everything summed up in Jesus Christ? Here's why. The invisible attributes of God reveal that he is king. And Jesus, in every sense of word and deed, has affirmed that he is God. Therefore, Jesus is king. He was, he is, he will be forever. So anything admirable in the universe is all found in Jesus because he is the only king that brings peace and happiness and salvation and truth and justice and hope and peace, and love, and comfort, and grace, and mercy today, and forever, and ever, and ever, and ever. That's why everything admirable can only be found in Jesus. He is God, and our God reigns.